Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. There, Ephesians chapter 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Let's begin. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with longsuffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Amen. Let's stop there. Amen. Let's thank God for that verse. Hallelujah. Thank God for one church. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're thankful for for one spirit, Lord God. We're thankful for one hope and one body. We're thankful for one Lord and one faith and one baptism. I'm, I'm thankful for one God and Father of all, above all and through all and in, in us all. Thank you, God for the power of the Holy Ghost in each one of us. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to touch us and direct us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now I want to give a clear message to you today. And it's not going to be something that we're going to hoop and shout. Well, we, we will over the next year because it's going to blow our mind what God's going to do. But we're not maybe going to, um, you know, spin about today. So, but just hang with me. I, I want to communicate very clearly the vision that God gave me because if I don't communicate clearly, you won't receive it, okay? And there's a difference. There is a difference. It's like the three old guys that were sitting on the bus in the back and <laughs> they're, they're riding together. First guy says, is it Wednesday already? The second guy said, no, it's Thursday. The third guy said, yeah, I'm thirsty too. Let's go get a drink. So you can see what happened there. But I was trying to get to it. But here's the deal. If, if, I, if I don't communicate clearly, then I don't think you can receive it properly. And so I want to make sure that you understand that when we're doing one church, there's got to be an understanding that this is God's body, okay? It is a fact. It's God's body. So we're going to do several things this year that are really, really cool. And one of them is we're going to do a unity service in Brookfield where all the churches in this area, now some of our leadership have already heard this, but when all the churches in this section, and I have to break this down for you for some of those that are newer here, uh, I was thinking of you know Ben being here and some of those others, so I was trying to think of how I could communicate this, but the Wisconsin state is called a district, and there's John Putnam is our bishop over the entire state, he's over all the ministers, and then below him there's men on this board, and each one of those men represent a section of the state, and they're called sectional leader, you know, they're actually called presbyters, but they're called sectional presbyters, and that is Reverend Booker from West Bend. He's the man that's over me, okay? I go through him when I want to get to Brother Putnam. Sometimes I just cell phone Brother Putnam, because we have a great relationship. Him and I went to the inauguration of President Bush together. It was a lot of fun. So, um, and on our way home, (laughs) we decided that we were going to have a whole lot of fun, so all six of us, six-foot guys, got around Brother Putnam and walked through the airport like we were escorting him home, and people are like pulling their paper down like, who is that? 
<laughs> it was hilarious. And so then Brother Putnam had to go into the restroom, and we all walked into the bathroom, and two of them standed, stood at each door, and he went up to the urinal, and me and Aaron Soto got right behind him and just stood there. And I looked over at a guy next to me, and I went, and the guy was, you know, doing stuff, and he looked up at me, and he went, and he left really quick. He's like, what in the world? I've got some either, this guy is a diplomat or he's a, under political asylum and they're taking him home, you know? So I love Brother Putnam. So sometimes I just give him a call. But usually I try to work through the, the process and that is to talk to my sectional representative who is his, in this area. And that is Brother Joseph Hanthorne at the church in Mequon, okay? They moved from Germantown to Mequon. So I need to talk, I talk to him first. Then I often talk to Brother Booker, who is over Brother Joseph Hanthorne. Brother Joseph Hanthorne is the secretary of the section. Brother Booker's the presbyter of the section. And then Brother Booker reports to Brother Putnam, who's over the Wisconsin state. Okay, do you understand that? State, local, us, okay? So what I've done is I've talked to all of those men that we would like to have this unity service and all of them are 100% behind it. In fact, Brother Booker said, I just got to look at your text briefly. He said, but my first response to it is fantastic. That is something that we want to do because um, if if we don't do something that has a a potential to draw people and, and has a different feel to it, than this local congregation, then people will feel like there's a bait and switch. They'll show up, 300 people, 500 people come to church for a unity service, and we have a great service, and we have it at a venue, maybe, or I'm looking to get Sharon Wilson Center, and we have it at a large venue, and then the next week they come here, and we have 30, 35, 15, 27, you know, whatever number we have that week, 50, hopefully. Uh, If we rededicate baby Alyssa, we'll have 55 again. (laughs) We're going to rededicate baby Alyssa like five times a year. So it's just the plan (laughs) because of the Lindsay effect, you know, she brings everybody. But the the great thing is when we do this, all of the churches are going to get behind and boost what's happening in Brookfield. So we're going to have a great opportunity to put that card inviting them to the unity service on a countertop in all the houses in Brookfield. On the reverse side, it's going to be invitation to this service every week, a Sunday service, and we'll probably be in a building by that time. I think that's probably going to happen, but I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about doing exactly what God tells me to do. So here's the thing. If you are a person that's coming to this church, I need you to get ready to fight for your seat, okay? Fight for where you're sitting because what's going to happen is um, I talked with Joseph Hanthorne and we're going to do every mail, every door direct mailing to all of these places. And he said that some of the most valuable people that he has seen come into the church were contacted through a card mailer. He said it still works. Political parties still use this. They get out the vote through a mailer into the home. Even though we, we drop flyers and newspaper boxes, it's the most effective way. Emails, great, but it's the most effective way to mail something right to somebody's home because it always ends up on the kitchen table or on the countertop and they look at it. So if the world spends all this money to get people out to vote and to get people to come to their events and they, they push all of this stuff to get you to see their broadcast or their event, we're going to, see, we're going to pray over these flyers and send them out, this, these mailers, okay? Amen. Amen? All right, so we're going to do several campaigns. That's one of them. Number two is uh, we can purchase lists of people who have moved into the area. We're going to do email campaigns to them. We're going to blast them and let them know, hey, we're here every Sunday, okay? But the important thing is 
in order for us to be one church, we have to realize that we cannot look out at the world and think that there's anything out there for us. We have to realize that we are the church that everyone is looking for. Amen? You have to buy in. And so you have to literally make this your home, your home church, to the point that you take responsibility for what happens here every single weekend. And if you know you're not going to be here, you need to contact somebody and say, I'm not going to be pulling some weight this week. I want you to know I'm not going to be there, okay? Is that all right? Can you text me and let me know if you cannot be here this week? Or next week or whatever. You know, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not bouncing anybody right now. I'm just telling you, if we're going to do this, we all have to do it in unity. Because when the Lord wanted a perfect environment to pour out his spirit, the first thing he wanted as an ingredient for the power of God to fall was unity. In Acts chapter 2, he said they were all in one place and one accord. The power of unity creates a synergy. And whenever no one texts me and lets me know what's going on, this little thing starts to go into overtime. Not my hair. Yeah, that's awesome. But no, just kidding. Just kidding. But my brain starts thinking, okay, where are they? Are they somewhere this week? Do I need to be praying for safe travels? I'm thinking positive thoughts, not negative thoughts. I'm not like those bunch of idiots. They didn't call me. Tell me. <laughs> I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking, okay, how do we, you know, how do I minister this week? Who am I going to see that needs to hear from God? You know, what is the voice I'm speaking? How, you know, so I'm looking to preach to you a direct word from God, but I need to know what's going on. And, and therefore, there's a synergy that's created. Whenever you let me know when you're going to be gone, I don't worry about you. I put you in God's hand. Praise God. Okay. God be with you. God protect you. And I'm good as a pastor, but when you don't let me know, I worry about you. Okay? Then that doesn't maybe bother you as much as it bothers me. Because all of you I love so very much. I literally would take a bullet for you. Uh, and I want you to know that you're smoking something if you think that I don't worry about you, okay? I seriously worry about each one of you. I worry about how your kids are going to grow up. I worry about what's going on in your heart, in your life, in your mind. Because I can't just give you head knowledge, okay? I can't just preach a good sermon here and you go home and have head wisdom. You've got to have heart wisdom, okay? That's the only way that it'll ever change. Because you can, re you, you, you can hear it and I can preach the best, most polished message you have ever heard in your life but if it all stops right here it never gets to your heart and you cannot receive it if it doesn't get here do you understand what i'm saying the greatest thing you could ever do is three little words three little words and i'm going to give you this question it's a question of three little words i'm going to give it to you today because i have to let you know that you are the key you are the key to revival in this church you, you are. Every person in here, I, I can name you all, but I won't. It waste my time. Uh, we have to get through this, okay? But every one of you is the key to the church. Now, in order for us to be one church, there's something behind it. It's a key. And the key to one church, that is you. You are the key to make this go. And the reason why you are the key is because God always works through man, Betty. When Simon Peter was asked, who do men say that I am? He said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living, the flesh of the living God. In other words, he said, my God's alive. He showed up in a body and you are him. And Jesus said, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for, Bar for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to you, but my father. And so what he was saying was that you have been giving a revelation 
And, and so then he says, upon this rock, I will build. Now, Peter and Petros is his definition of his name. But he wasn't talking about Peter. He was talking about working through Peter because of the revelation that Peter had. So the revelation that Jesus was God was the key that gave him the opportunity to preach the message in Acts chapter 2, where he stood up and, two and said, brethren, you need to repent. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name. You need to be filled with the Holy Ghost as the Spirit gives you the ability to speak in tongues. You need all of that. And the reason why he had the key to do that was because of the revelation that he was given. We were meant to walk in revelation. Now, this is awesome. I'm about to blow your mind. Ready? You're gone. God is so awesome that he puts a plan in place. He starts with vision. I am going to do this, my logos, my plan. And then he makes his plan come to pass. Brings, he speaks the world into existence. He he forms man from the dust. He's enacting his plan through the power of the Holy Ghost. And then he brings Christ on the scene. He dies for us, and 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 he destroys the grip of sin and death forever. And then when all of that is done, God has done all of this to purchase a church. Amen. So the only thing that God ever bought in Scripture was us, the church. And so the revelation that we get comes from the vision that God had, the plan. So he had a plan. He revealed his his plan through Jesus Christ, who was the embodiment. He's, he's, he's the love of God embodied, amen? He's, he's everything that God is in a body. So the plan became a revelation, and then the revelation brought us an experience at, the, at, at Acts chapter 2, amen? So vision becomes revelation, becomes experience. Are you following me? So what happens whenever we get to praying for God? The Bible says in Hosea, without a vision, the people perish. If I reference that right without a vision the people perish and that's reason the reason why it says that is because when you don't have a vision you don't know what to do because you have no revelation and if you have no revelation you have no experiences and we don't talk about our revelation as much or our vision as much but we all talk about our experience well girl you know what happened to me you're talking about your experience well the other day i was driving and i almost ran into you experience that. We all, it's what we talk on the level of experience. So God, in his great grace, allowed us that we, if we forget to go to him in prayer for vision, and we don't realize if we don't walk on revelation and live in revelation, we will have no purpose in life. He makes it possible for a carnal, experience-driven world to walk their way through the back door into his church, not the front door. Come in vision, revelation, experience the Holy Ghost. But this world that just wants, give me a party, give me a fix, give me this. Give me that. Give me experience. Let me feel it. Let me interact with it. Let me put my vote in on American Idol. Let me be a part of it. Everything that is experience driven in this world, God said, it's all right because I'm creating a Holy Ghost experience that you might come in the front door, but you can always sneak around the back to the screen door. And God said, don't matter. It doesn't matter how you get into the church. Just get into my church. Just repent. Just be baptized. Just if you get the experience first, then get the revelation. Then get a vision for your spot 
in the church, for your place in the church. Amen? I don't know if that came off the way. I mean, I was having a blow-up experience in my prayer time with that. I was like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. God is so awesome that he knew how this world would function when he poured out his spirit in Acts chapter 2. He knew that everybody wanted to interact with something. They wanted experience. He knew that all of us talk about our experiences. So whenever we come to an altar and we say, lift your hands and just experience God, it's okay. It's not wrong for us to be experience-driven in our church. It's not wrong. In fact, I can tell you that there's other places where there's experiences. In Acts chapter 2, as I mentioned, where the Holy Ghost was poured out, they then began to speak in other tongues and began to prophesy, and they spilled out into the street. And the people on the street experienced something they never experienced before. Their first introduction to the church was through an experience. Yeah. They didn't have the revelation. They didn't even have a vision. But they got to do, they got an experience. So then this, the other place, and I, you know, there's all kinds of places, but the other places where Paul is preaching, Paul preaches, let me find it, I'm way down here in my notes somewhere. I'm getting there, I'm getting there. Oh. When Paul preached at Lystra, and Athens, Athens was a major city in the, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. He explained that God had led the Gentile, let the Gentiles walk in their own ignorant ways without his words, without his word for many generations. But he was now commanding all men everywhere to repent from their ignorance. And scripture, and without scripture, men would rush with greedy ambition into the vilest of lifestyles. And so what he was saying was he was preaching to them that they can have an experience with God through repentance. And he was trying to help them to experience that when God gives an experience, he wants you to then go after revelation. Understand why that happened, okay? Understand why am I here? So the important thing I have to communicate to you is this. You are the key. And so this year... With the One Church Initiative, we're doing three things. Everyone say three things. Would you hold up three fingers? Okay, the first thing we're going to do is each one win one. You're the key to revival. You need to win somebody to the Lord. And now if you haven't been as close to the Lord as you need to be, you've got to get close to the Lord in order to do that. I mean, okay, the next thing is each one train one. If you know how to do something in the church or you know how to do something that you're not using in the church yet, use it. And then train somebody how to do it, okay? Because all of us have vacation days. If Karen's gone or something, we need somebody to help out. And, and if Betty's gone, we need somebody to worship right there in the middle aisle. <laughs> each one train one. So each one, each one win one, each one train one, and then each one serve one, and each one attend one. So we're going to put a calendar out, and I need you guys to help me. As long as we're setting up, and I don't know how long that's going to be, but as long as we're setting up, we're going to have a calendar, and I want you to serve one week and attend one week. If you're going to be gone, go someplace on the week that you're attending, okay? When, whenever you're not in a serving role, and let me know. Text me, hey, Pastor. Hey, is it okay? And ask me. Actually ask me so I can pray about it. Is it okay that I go this place? I just want to let you know that I wanted to go, and is that all right? And that, that's not saying that I have authority over you in that sense of saying, well, if you don't have my permission, you can't go. What that's saying is I will take that text message. I will go to pray, and if God tells me something, no, something could happen. I will tell you. There was someone in our church that went on a trip, and I, and I, felt, I felt right here, no, that shouldn't happen. They shouldn't be going. And something happened on that trip, and I should have said something. But I was trying to be the nice pastor. You know, I'm really soft sometimes, too soft. But if I don't, if I tell you and I bounce, 
you know, and I do all these things, then I, I, I'm not, I don't think that I'm going to help you when it comes to moments where I have to talk to you about very serious things in your spiritual life. So the point that I'm getting at is that we are the church and if each one of us win one, I've, I've mapped it out, okay? And this time I actually have my notes at the leadership meeting, I didn't. And I've actually figured it out. And I, I don't know why I did this, but I did. This is all part of my book that I'm writing. Yay, pastor's writing a book. Nobody's going to read it because, no, I'm just kidding. It's actually pretty good. That's good. Oh, that's really good. Just kidding. I'm paging through here. But at the age of 40... In one year, I can win one person. So if I continue to win people, in five years, if each if I win somebody each year, I will have won 32 people by the time I'm 44. If each one of us in this church wins one person each year, by the end of five years, we will have right around 380 people in this church. 380 people. If we keep on continuing to do that every single year, we will exponentially grow and so that by the time I'm 54, there will be 16,000 people, 382 people. That's when I'm 54, okay? I'm 40 right now. Watch the difference from 54. When I get 62, we will have touched 3,809,792 lives if we each reach one. That's not 100. We don't have a, a guarantee that there's going to be 100%, but if we do our part... We are the key to revival, okay? And if I can get this vision to you about how this is going to work, I promise you there's going to be people that show up that, that need God. And I don't care how they come. It's going to get messy. Hear me. If you hear nothing else I say, it's going to be messy. Karen, it's going to be messy. It's, it's going to be, oh, my goodness. I can see it. I, I was praying, and I was like, you're going to have to stall your judgment. You're going to have to stop criticizing people for just a little while. They're going to come however they come, and it's going to be muddy, and it's going to be dirty, and it's going to be messy, and they're going to have history. But the, the great thing about the church is we don't care about your history as long as it's under the blood. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. And history does have pathological issues. But we will love you through them and pray you through them and pray you out of any addiction and pray you out of anything. So it's going to get messy, okay? And, and in order for us to, to, to form the church as God did, he formed us from the dust of the ground. If, we're gonna form, if he's going to form a church in Brookfield, he's going to have to do it from mud, okay? And, and we are all just muddy vessels. And, and so, you know, it's going to be awkward. It's, it's going to be awkward at times. There's going to be moments where we have services and it feels just like it went flat because we're trying to we're trying to you know include people that don't know don't know how to say amen at the right time and they don't know how to do the cute little dance to Jesus you know they they, they don't have any of their stuff you know like their church stuff in place you know but that's okay because we're not reaching for church people we're reaching for lost people reaching for desperate people and and, and you know they may not even have a care in the world for vision. When I'm doing this vision casting and I'm saying that we can each one reach one and each one train one and, and serve one week and attend one week and serve one week and attend one week. That's the one in the one church. And, and our unity serve. And, and someone can say, I don't even really care about your vision. I don't really 
care much about revelation from God. I just want to go to work, make a good paycheck, love my wife, love my kids, whatever, you know, or just live a good life. And I'll come to church on Sunday, but I don't have much more. I want, you know what? They're welcome too. You have to understand that we cannot, we cannot get too critical of people that only want to come so far. Because if God lets them be filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, you're welcome in my kingdom, even if you have to live off of somebody else's vision. If you have to live off your pastor's vision, if you have to live off your pastor's revelation, I will let you experience something with me. And God gives salvation that way. But how would you, why would you want to live like that? Think about it. The revelations that we get, sometimes when we sit down and talk, Sarah and I, I, I can't even believe how God had brought us through some things. And so I want you to know that some of us come used, misused, abused. Some of us come broke, busted, and disgusted. Some of us come jaded, perverted, and deserted. That means we had our dessert already. If I could have some of these kids come up here, I want to share with you, this is important. Now, I've said that we are one church. I've said that you are the key. But you have to understand, in order for you to be a true key to revival, you have to have one thing on lock, okay, in your life, and that is this. Sarah, would you go to Proverbs? Let me find it. I'm sorry that this is all over the place. This is so many, so many days and nights of prayer and seeking God and just writing it all in here. If you go to Proverbs 11, verse 30, please. Proverbs 11, verse 30. So in order for you to be what God wants you to be, you need to have revelation. You need to have vision. You need to have revelation experience. But this is, the fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. But he that winneth souls is what? Wise. Wise. Okay, so Eden, uh, I want you to take the scorner. I guess I don't I want to put anybody else. Sure. And then, um, let's see, where's Jesse? Oh, Jesse, come here. We'll put you in the wise chair. Come here, Jesse. You get to be the wise one. Everybody give Jesse a big hand for being wise. Okay. And then I'll take Azalea. Azalea, you can be, we're going to put you in the simple chair, okay? You're not really, but we're going to just use you for that. Look at her pretty dress today. Give her a big hand. Looks so beautiful. And Seth, I'm going to have you be the fool. Uh, Because we know you're not. We know you're a very smart boy. He taxes both my wife and I to no end because of his brains. So the Bible says, he that winneth souls is wise, okay? And so what I want you to understand is that in this chair, there is the simple, okay? Now, all of us sit in that chair at some point. And the thing that I want to teach you about being a key to revival is you need to ask yourself one question all throughout your life, okay? Do you want to know what that one question is? Okay, this is the most important question you will ever hear, and you're, and you're, you're going to be so glad you came to church today. I really, okay. I really need some water. The question that that is very, very important to you is three words. Now, some people ask a different question. They ask more immature questions. They ask 
more educated questions, but they're still the wrong question. I'll tell you what the wrong question is. The wrong question is to ask whenever you're trying to live for God and you're trying to be the key to revival is to ask yourself when you're living your life and you're going about your day, is it right or is it wrong for me to do this? Is it right or is it wrong? That's the wrong question. Because we as human beings have the ability to rationalize anything. And you could be, you could be rational. I mean, some, some wives, you guys sit, sit pretty, okay? Sit good. Some wives have their husbands come home with this, with this harebrained idea that they're going to build this awesome business. And they're like, oh, Lord, <laughs> please give him wisdom. And they're like, no, no, I have it all figured out. We're going to make all this money and... Guess what? And I prayed about it, and I know it's going to... And they haven't got a new revelation. They've just got an old problem is what they have. They've rationalized themselves into something that they now believe is right for them to do, and it's not. That's why you need pastors in your life. That's why you need counsel in your life. Because while you're in the fog of an emotion, oh, I absolutely love this. I have to have it. And you're over at the car dealership signing that lease that's going to give you 17% on a loan and just destroy you financially. Your pastor would say, hey, you know what? How about we put some new tires on the back of that car and just get you going until summer, late summer. And how about we just wait? Just to... And sometimes you, you think that the people that are counsel in your life are wet blankets. Oh, they just, they don't, they won't even understand. But really what they're doing is they're giving good counsel to you so that you don't make a mistake. Amen? So here's what, here's what we have to learn. We have to learn that in order to make the right decisions, you have to ask the right questions, okay? And in order to be a revival church, we all have to in, adopt this one question. Are you ready for the question? Question. The question is not, is it right or is it wrong for me to do this? Is it right for me to, to go here? Is it right for me? Is it wrong for me to just have a burger at the bar? I'm not drinking. I'm just going to Boomers. I'm just going to get a burger. I'm working in this area anyways. It's the closest place that has food. It's a bar, but eh, eh, whatever. I mean, I'm just getting food, right? Is it right or is it wrong for me to go in there in that environment and have a burger? Wrong question. The right question is, is it wise? The right or wrong question is a right now question. Is it right or wrong? If a boy asks his mother, Mom, I want to play in the street. We're going to play street ball. And the boy asks his mother and his mom goes, No, you're not. You're going to hit, get hit by a car. You cannot. The, the question is, and the boy goes, why? Why not? Why? And immature people always ask why. They drive me insane because they don't understand that your question is possibly being answered by something you don't see, experience. And, and that's what happens in this chair where Azalea is. Okay, Azalea, stand back up and show them your sign. Those are cute sandals. I wish they fit me. Those are those would be like Air Jesuses in, in Jesus' day, right? Jesus, Jesus, that, that guy. So she's in the simple chair. People who ask the question, why all the time? Well, why not? Why? Why Why can't I do that? Why can't I have a glass of wine? Why? Why? Is there a scripture? Give me scripture that says, thou shalt not look at porn. Give me one. And if you find a scripture that says, thou shalt not look at porn, please give it to me. I will preach the snot out of that thing. <laughs> so some people, yeah. But 
And I say that because I know that there's people that are going to listen to this that have problems possibly with that. So um, what happens is we all sit in the simple chair at some point. Simple does not mean dumb, okay? Simple means that you do not have experience. And so Azalea, would you help us by doing, you know, say I, I ask her to do something for me and I have not instructed her on how to do it. I'd like for you to stand out and greet people at the front and I want you to hand them this thing and then I, and I don't tell you how to smile. I don't tell you where to stand. I don't tell you how to shake people's hands. Guess what? You are all of a sudden a simple in a simple seat, okay? Everybody say the simple seat. Okay, sit right there. Now, you don't have a choice whether you sit in this chair. If pastor comes to you and says, hey, we need somebody to plug this hole. There is a need and a ministry in this area. I need you to take up the ministry of outreach, okay? And now I don't have time to meet with them because I'm busy, I'm busy for almost a year. We're trying to get meetings together. We're trying to figure this out. Guess what? Yeah, that's on me. Everything that doesn't move in this church, it's on me. Okay, regardless of who it is. I love Aaron Rodgers because last two, two games ago when they lost, his, he threw it right to his receivers and they didn't catch it. And you know what he said afterwards? It's on me. That was my fault. It wasn't Aaron Rodgers' fault. He threw it right to the receiver on a couple of times. But he took all the blame on himself because he knows he, in order to be a leader that's respected, he needs to take responsibility for stuff not moving forward or not winning. So I take full responsibility. But you know what I did? I put them in the simple seat. Because now they have to learn. Okay, so Azalea's in the simple seat. You do not want to be in that simple seat very long. You want to learn as fast as you can and get out of that. You want to get experience. You want to hook your wagon to somebody who's already been there and they know what to do. Okay, do this, do this, and do this. You're out. You don't want to sit in that seat very long. But the problem is there's a seat right next to it, and that's the fool seat. And it's very easy to slide over to the fool seat because the fool seat is now this person is not ignorant. They're, they could be very intelligent. They just don't know what they don't know. But now, if you don't, if you learn, if you begin to learn, now there's people that have been in this chair. If you get married, you're in the simple seat. Brand new stuff you've never experienced. If you go to school, if you're in high school or college, you are in the simple seat, okay? You're learning. You're trying to get through stuff. You're trying to figure it out. But what happens with the fool is the fool is not ignorant in that they don't have the experience. The fool knows what to do. The fool knows what truth is. The fool knows the right things to do. The fool knows how to have a better marriage. But they just don't care. They just won't do it. The fool knows what's good for them as a Christian. They just, they don't care. They just won't do it. The fool knows how to have better finances and how to deal with their money better. But they just don't care. That's what the scripture calls a fool. And that chair you don't want to sit in. And then there's this chair. Here, give me your hand. This chair. And that is the chair of the scorner. The word uses the word scorner, scoffer, mocker. It's kind of synonymous. Do I still have your attention? Am I boring the life out of you yet? Okay. As long as I'm not boring you, you need to know this because I'm trying to get to that chair and you cannot be a key to revival unless you know how to be wise, okay? You just can't. I, I, we're we're going to spin our wheels. We'll, I'll be standing right here next year giving the same vision casting service, talking to you about growing the church and we'll all be looking at each other going, okay, 
it won't happen if we don't do it. In other words, is what I'm saying. So this is the next year. And so if you are a fool, you can be a fool and not and not change anything in your life, but know all the scriptures. I know people that can that, that can literally take the scriptures and can argue somebody into a corner, but they don't live it. They know the word of God front and back. They know it like the back of their hand, Tim Hawkins. Hello. They know it like the back of their hand, and yet they don't do it. But then there's this chair right next to the fool, and that is the chair of the scorner, the scoffer, the mocker. They go a whole nother level. They are a person that moves from a fool to a scorner. And go ahead and sit down. They literally will mock people trying to live right. They will scoff at them. And you know how you can tell if you're a scorner? Now, I'm going to suck all the oxygen out of the room right now. And I'm going to come after every single person that's looking at me. You know how you, are, you, know, how you know if you're a scorner? Is if your pastor rebukes you. And you get upset with him and hold it against him. If your pastor says, says I, brother, you really shouldn't be doing that. And you literally get angry with me. Now, I'm not trying to make it about me. I'm trying to make it about a generality. So here's what happens. When a person is a scoffer, the Bible says that even that a man, sh- that you should not correct a scornful person, that you should not admonish them because they literally will not only dislike you and develop a hate for you, they will never receive correction. Can you receive correction? Can you receive a rebuke? The scripture says we are supposed to be able to receive a rebuke. I've had people in this congregation rebuke me and I've received it. You know why? Because I don't want to be this person. No, she's not that. She's just representing that. She's the cutest thing ever. So, Except for this one right over here. There's a real competition going right there. Because she is for cute. But now this guy. This is the guy. Give me a hand, Jesse. Let him see your sign. This is the guy that you want to be. A guy who is wise. Now Jesse is so wise at his age, we had to put him in this chair. Okay, you can sit back down. So the Bible says, he that when his souls is wise. Did you know that the Bible also says that, that in Psalms 1, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of godly, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The Bible says you won't be blessed if you mock people that love God, if you are a scoffer at the things. Be careful. Let me say it to you this way. A person who is simple is clueless. A person who is foolish is careless. A person who is a scoffer is critical. But a person who is wise is always going to be blessed. Amen? So I have to tell you that because this is the most important thing I could do for you. The wisdom chair... Is, is really important because it's the only place you can receive instruction. People who are wise, and listen to me carefully, people who are wise live their life like this. People who are scoffers live their life like this. Well, I don't know about that. Uh, that's not for me. Because what happens is when you're a scoffer, if it doesn't fit your agenda, your schedule, or your desire for your life, you rebuke it or you, you keep it out. You, you long arm it. You resist it. But people who are wise, 
they accept it because it's in the word of God. You can literally take years off your spiritual growth process if you would just be a person in the wise seat and receive whatever the word says. You don't have to ask a what, wrong question. You don't have to ask a why, wrong question. Some, have you ever met per, people that whenever they see it in the word, they just do it? They are jumping over years. They're skipping grades spiritually. You know why? Because they, they don't have to go through the whole process of having God try to help them through experiences in life understand the why. When they just say, if God settles it, if God says it, that settles it. That's important for us to understand. Ephesians talks to us about this, and, and God is trying to pull the script, and I'm trying to get this all pulled together for you, because if you don't taste and see of the things of God, you will look outside the church and start to taste and see of the things of the world. If you're not actively pursuing revelation and vision and experiences from God, you will pursue experiences from the world because the human body has a desire and a craving for experience. And experience can only come from revelation that's given to you by vision from God. So if you would, this week, if you would pray, God, give me a fresh revelation of what you want to do in my life. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to start often with a vision. He's going to say, I have this plan for your life. If you would go with me, I'm not going to tell you the entire plan, but I will illuminate your feet with my word. And I'll give you step by step. Just take a step. And when he says something, take another step. And when he gives you something else to do, take another step. And as you do that, you literally walk in vision and, and you start to get a revelation for what God wants you to do. And you find a place in the church for you to work and serve. And you find your spot, your place in the church. It's really important that you do that because if you don't serve you will desire only to be served. And when people don't serve you the way you want to be served, you get critical and you fall into that chair. Give them a big hand for helping me, amen? All right, guys, thank you. You can go have a seat. Azalea is really not the simple one. She just got that chair. Is that okay today? You know, when, when David and John said, David in the Old Testament, John in the New Testament said, your commandments are not grievous to me, Lord. What they were saying was something about living for God and just taking him at his word is so much better than trying to taste everything in the world. And I've got scripture that says not to do that. If you want it, I'll give it to you. I've got scripture that says don't drink a strong drink. Don't drink wine. Don't drink all this stuff. I've got all the scriptures for things that people do, but I'm not preaching against what people do. If I can get them to understand that God has so much more for you than what you even know. You, there's times whenever I'm sitting in this chair as a pastor and I'm so desperately wanting out of this chair that if I'm not careful, I'll slide over to that chair because I, I wait too long or I stay here too long and I don't want you to be there. I know what it's like to be uncomfortable in that place, to be in a simple place because if you're in the simple chair, you can be flattered. People can flatter you with their words. I've watched people come up to me, Tanya, and said, oh, you're a great pastor. Oh, you're so good. And I'm like, okay, 
you know, red flags are going off immediately because I don't know you and you're laying it on way too thick. So I'm trying to figure out, okay, what is going on? Because I've pastored long enough to understand that when people flatter you, they may, I'm finishing. Thank you, sir. When people flatter you, they are trying to manipulate something. If they don't know you and they're giving you all kinds of love, they are trying to manipulate you. Asking you, would you like more than what they really should be giving you? Would you like this? Would you like that? And or You're so amazing. You're so awesome. Guess what? You will hurt yourself if you're not careful. Be careful who you let speak into your life, okay? You cannot, you cannot be a wise person if you're running around with scornful people. If you have people that are scoffers or mockers of the church, mockers of pastors and authority, mockers of things that are in this that that are in place by God. Don't please don't ever make fun of God's church. I told a friend, I, I find no fault in God's church. Yeah, we are all faulty, but I find no fault in the plan of salvation. I find no fault in the way that God purchased his church. Because if, if on anything on this planet, if God chose, and, and it says in the book of Acts that, that God bought this church with his own blood, the only thing that God ever bought, but is this church don't you dare criticize and be a scoffer and a mocker of the church of the living God this is his one church by one Lord by one faith and one baptism and we're going to preach about all that but I want you to know that if you don't get a grip on the vision that I'm trying to share with you that there's going to be people walking the door messy but can be turned into a message needing God more than ever in their life and they're not looking just to see what's out there for another experience. They are coming for God to do something. Literally craving something that they just no matter how hard they try they can't get a hold of it. They've drank themselves into a coma. They partied their way into different places. They've been in the wrong sheets with the wrong person. They thought that was scratching that craving, that itch in their life. But the problem is you can't ever get it by going through your flesh. You can never satisfy. I'm finishing. You can stand. You can never satisfy that itch by drinking it, by smoking it, by sleeping with somebody, you can never do it. And now some of us have been so far removed from that lifestyle. And so I only say it because when I see people running after things of the world or tasting things of the world, I'm going, nothing you put in your body, nothing you experience with your body can satisfy your soul craving. So if they're trying to get in a niche, they can never scratch they're drinking their way in a party into a complete coma, but they can't get at that itch, that internal craving. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not trying to belabor the point. I'm just trying to tell you, don't fall into the full seat where you're just seeking after something that can never satisfy. And if you do have friends that are in the scoffer seat, scorner seat, um, 
Remove them from your close circle of friends. Say hi to them. Like them on Facebook. Whatever you want to do. But start to distance yourself from a scorner. Because the Bible says that friends of scorners will fall into destruction. Literally, when a scorner or a scoffer makes fun of people and God's people long enough, stuff will happen and you will get hit with a shrapnel if you're near them. So don't hook yourself to a mocker or a scorner, okay? So careful, be careful who you let speak in your ears. Because if they have more weight than your pastor's words, if they have more weight than this word, you are in dangerous, on dangerous ground. Okay? Is that all right today? So if you're going to win souls, if each one's going to win one, I need you to be wise. I need you to remove every scorner that's in your life. If you've criticized the church lately, if you've criticized this church, if you've criticized how fast we've grown, or how, if you've criticized how well I've led, or if you've criticized anything about our, our leadership, our way of doing it, meeting in a church and a hotel, anything that you have actually thought, well, we could do it better if we just did this, come talk to me. I'm an open book. You know I am. If you see me, you know me, okay? I'm really open. But don't do this. Don't say, well, if we'd only, you know, we could have more if we'd only. Come talk to me. We'll deal with it. We'll we'll get it out there. We'll make it happen. But if you sit here, you can't be part of one church. You can't be part of this initiative because wise people win souls. See what I'm saying? I'm trying to equip you to do what I'm asking you to do this year. Don't be here. Come, come to Life University, please. Our house is big enough. We'll... We'll put all the furniture outside if we have to. Sit on the floor. But don't be a fool with your money. Don't be a fool. Know what this word says. Don't get duped by somebody that can can use the word and and craft you into a corner and, and you don't know what to say. Come Wednesday night to Life Group. Amen, somebody. Y'all are making me nervous right now. I gather Jesus. Uh, Lord, you, you've got to do what you do. and I know there's people that have wanted to check out on this sermon already. And I, I'm sorry I went so long, but I really needed to do this. I really had to get this out there. Lord God, there's some people right now that are sitting in a simple seat. And maybe they don't even know what they don't know. They don't know how to get out of that simple seat. Lord God prepare them, plan for them Lord God, make ways for them instruct them if we found ourselves in the seat of the fool or the scoffer if we mocked the church in any way God, if we've said bad things about your bride, God, please help us, please help us Jesus forgive us for saying it's something against the church, God forgive us for not doing what we need to do, help us Lord Jesus to move into the wise place you want us to be. In Jesus' name I pray. In Jesus' name I pray. Help us all to be a key to revival. Send us somebody to win this year. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.